Welcome to Eventive Entrepreneurs, the podcast for business inspiration, featuring innovative entrepreneurs sharing their stories, best practices, and actionable tips, sprinkled with my favorite topic, event planning advice to build community and grow your business. I'm your host, Sarah Brush. Let's get this party started. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining the podcast. Today, my incredible friend and previous coworker, Sarah Straw, is joining the podcast to discuss everything events. Sarah is the founder of STW Planning, is an author, travel agent, travel coach, podcast host of the Solo Travel Women podcast, and certified meeting planner who loves to explore the world and empower others to experience new cultures and gain independence through travel. We have reached out to our community to compile questions that you have about events. And we are also going to touch on some of the commonly asked questions that we receive when we are planning events. We hope this episode is beneficial for you if you are thinking about or hosting events for your business. So let's get started. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the podcast for the second time. Hello. I'm so excited to be here again. It's been a while. I think I it was like your seventh or one of the first. And you've done I know. so many now. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think this one's actually going to be 80 now. So probably 70 episodes later, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, that's insane. I can't believe you've done that many. Yeah. And it's kind of funny just like doing a podcast with you, looking at you on Zoom when like I've just been hanging out all weekend with you. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's like, wait, this is, it can't, it's like, this is too formal for us. So (laughs) I know, I know. Sarah just had a birthday. So we went out and celebrated this weekend. It was really fun. (laughs) Yeah. Well, my birthday is not until the 23rd, but we celebrated because I'm not going to be here. I'll be out in the cold, cold city of Buffalo, New York celebrating Christmas. So (laughs) Oh, it's going to be so fun. I'm well, so excited. yeah, let's get started. So this episode is going to be all about events. And we reached out to the community to get some questions that people might have if they're starting to plan events or thinking about hosting events. So the first question we got submitted was from Erica Grace, which she actually lives in your apartments. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I think they know who she is. No, I think so. I yeah. <laughs> And Erica actually just hosted a virtual event on Sunday, which was amazing. And her question was all around reviewing presentations. So she asked if she should have the speakers run through the entire presentation for her or really just collect like the main theme and title and and those type of items. What are your thoughts on that? So I'm kind of a dual person because I think there are some presenters that if you've worked with them regularly or if you do know the content and stuff, then I am more of a high level run through person. So, you know, definitely getting on a call, doing a sort of dry run, but I don't have them go slide by slide, you know, bullet by bullet, very high level, just to make sure the key points are talked on. We keep to time. I go over anything important that they need to know. However, on the flip side, if it's a newer speaker, maybe when I, I'm not well, you know, I don't have that in sync vibe with because I've not worked with them before, or if I've never done it and it's just brand new, then I do like to do full dry runs. Um, and this is virtual speaking, you know, full dry runs and things like that. Now, hopefully 
as things open up and we go back to the world of lies, then yeah, I mean, I do full on rehearsals right before the event. Um, we do click throughs, but then we also bring them in and run through the run of show live, make sure they're hitting their points on stage and things. So it really just depends on the speaker, how much you've worked with them, and then the length and the type of content. That's just my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, and I think a lot of times with events, and these may be larger events, but if there's like general sessions, keynote presentations, you know, you'll do the whole rehearsal and run through everything. And then with maybe smaller breakout sessions, you want to just review their PowerPoint just to make sure that they're aligning with what the session title and abstract is. Yeah. Um, also, if they don't do a PowerPoint, I think just, you know, really looking over their main points, but also making sure it's clear the purpose of, you know, the presentation and the event to make sure like if they're not supposed to be selling or promoting that they're not doing that. So just making sure you're really clear on the purpose of what their presentation is for your audience. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, for breakouts and things, depending on the type of event you're having and who you're having speaking, you know, you do want to make sure the content is for the audience and it benefits them and it's not anything salesy or all about the speaker and very like you know product or service positioning it's it's about the client and about the audience and what it's what it benefits for them so i think that's very important to review as well yes i completely agree <laughs> <laughs> the next question we received was from dulce Padillo. dulce has actually been on this podcast as well she is an amazing stylist and energy coach Sarah, you'll love this question. So she asked, how did we book Gary V for our corporate event? <laughs> oh my gosh. So, okay. So first things first to book big name speakers. I mean, you do have to do some research. You have to really, truly know who your audience is and what they're looking for. But then I also like to find someone that puts a little fun into it. You know, when you're at an event, it's a lot of information, a lot of, you know, absorbing a lot of, sometimes it can be a lot of serious and maybe not the most fun information that they're going to be absorbing. So I like to utilize external speakers for fun and for creativity, but also staying on brand and on point for what the theme or the messaging of the overall event is. And so specifically for Gary, um, my boss at the time loved him. <laughs> and, you know, I follow him on everything, including TikTok. And I personally really enjoy him as well. And we thought he'd be really great to come in just as an overall businessman. He's an entrepreneur. He knows how to run and lead a business and build it from small to large. You know, VaynerMedia is a bigger media company now. And he's done a lot, but he has such good advice. And he's so real and he's so authentic. And, you know, yes, he drops some F-bombs and he'll, he'll say things sometimes that you're like, oh my gosh, this is not paging for, but it keeps it real and authentic. And I liked it. My boss liked it. Um, also, you know, besides just doing your own research, I mean, I've worked with speakers bureaus before to make sure because they have the contacts with these associations or with these agents that represent these high end speakers. And so, yeah, just making sure you really know what you want, what you're looking for, who your audience is and getting that over to those bureaus or knowing how to do the research and go out there and get these speakers yourself. Yeah. And you have to have money. <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing. Um, for some of these guys, and gals, yeah, uh, lots of money, lots, lots of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've we've spent in corporate events like hundreds of thousands of dollars on just one speaker. So yeah. I think for you know some entrepreneur events, you really want to leverage your community and the people that are mm -hmm. like you have relationships with. Like you can get some really amazing speakers come in, and you can do a trade because you have a similar audience, or you can just make sure that yeah. you can show up for them and what they need, um, and just kind of create that win win. 
And you really want to be flexible. If you are someone who is really adamant on working with someone who is very high profile, like a celebrity or something, you have to expect the unexpected, like someone of that caliber pulling out the day before because they can, whether the contracts are or not, sometimes that happens. Um, I know at, in the past, some corporate events, I've had some very high profile speakers day before. And so you have to always know your contingency plans and who you're going to pull up, um, you know, for plan B in case that happens. So just know the higher the profile, the more of that type of a situation you might have to deal with, whether it's green room specifications that they want or the fact you could risk losing them the day before because of their schedule and them putting other things at a priority. So just making sure, like I said, the higher the profile, the bigger the name, the more the more nuances you might have. <laughs> yeah. And then with. like you said, like really reviewing the rider, just like you mentioned the green room, because they may have a certain type of green room, certain type of food that has to be in there. You may not be able to promote them after the event by using their yeah. like recorded video, things like that. So you have to really be careful with that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So next question, let's say somebody is ready to plan an event. What should they do first? So first things first, in my opinion, before you jump into doing an event, making sure you truly, truly know, is this something your audience needs and wants? I think a lot of people jump to events and now I'm an event person, so I'm all for it. I want to do events all the time, but I've also dealt with people who just think they have to do events without truly knowing if it's what is good for their audience. So before you even jump into that, do you know your audience? Do you know what they want and need? And so then you know what type of event you want to move forward with. Not all events are the same. You know, there's so many different types of events you can do out there, whether it's, you know, more retreat based or is it expo, you know, conference focus? Is it, you know, a conference with tons of birds of a feather session, like how you really needing to know what's going to resonate with your audience the most, because that's what's going to set you up to then plan everything else moving forward. Um, so to me, that's the first thing you should do if you're going to decide, if you're thinking in your head, I want to do an event. It's truly, truly honing in and knowing who your audience is and what they want. And is it what they actually need before you start anything else? And yeah. in tandem with that, knowing do you even have the money to do this? Cause it costs a lot of money. <laughs> Are you reading my mind right now? So I was going to say definitely, <laughs> definitely knowing your why. And then also yes. like your call to action after the event, like it might be really fun to have an event, but like what is happening after? Are you driving people into one of your programs? Like what's the call to action mm -hmm. to make sure there's like a reason and a benefit behind it. Um, and then gas, like you have to have a budget. You have to be able to really execute on what you want to do. Um, or it's just going to be a struggle the whole time trying to plan it. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. I think oftentimes everyone gets excited, you know, events, are exciting and everything, but they're not all, you know, roses and sunflowers and decoration. You know what I mean? There's a lot <laughs> that goes into it. And so making sure that before you move forward, you really truly understand what an event entails, um, what financially, even just time and resources and, and knowing your audience and your why. And like Sarah said, what you're going to do after, because it shouldn't be one and done. There should always be a plan for after. I also think a lot of people get really excited. And the first thing they do is go find venues. And then they want to book a venue knowing not anything else about their full budget and like how they have to allocate those into different buckets. Oh, yeah. So do not do that. Create your budget yeah. before you go book a venue. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You definitely want to make sure you have your, your everything aligned because <laughs> there's a lot of little things that 
will surprise you. So you, you at least want your main focus points of your budget outlined because I promise you there will be little surprises along the way. It's kind of like remodeling and flipping a house. You know, you have your budget, you allocate it. Next thing you know, though, all the piping is ruined and, you know, rotted through and you have to, but you didn't know that until you open up the walls. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's similar to that, in my opinion. It's always good to have a contingency budget. What percentage yes. do you usually use in your budgets? We use about for contingency, I would say probably like five, five percent, ten percent. Um, so yeah. like let's say your budget for an event's like two hundred grand, I would at least put like twenty thousand aside for a contingency yeah. budget. Well, let's keep on the budget topic and just think about like what are those buckets that you yeah. know people should think about. Like we know your venue and your F and B are going to be some of the most expensive yeah. each items. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. even the venue per se, because I think F and B is the biggest one, and then the AV and which includes like your internet, your audio visuals, any rigging and stuff like that, that you will have, because a lot of times at venues, if you meet your food and beverage minimums, your actual venue space rentals are forgiven. So you have to, so I would say, yes, you want to make sure you have a line item for venue, but just know that the food and beverage is really going to be your kicker. If you can negotiate, you know, if we meet our food and beverage, your space, you know, the space rentals included, that usually does happen. Um, but definitely F and B, AV, so audio visual, you know, which usually typically at the venue will include your internet, any electric drops, it'll include any, you know, rigging, because usually it's that same company that's going to be doing that in-house. Um, I always say go with the in-house folks for audio visual, because you're going to get the best prices. They know the lay of the land. It's, it's easy for them, to be honest. Everything's on one bill too, which is very nice. It does help, especially if this is a event for a business and you have a process to go through to get vendors approved. Also any type of external production support, whether it's keynotes or breakouts or studio time or on-site help, you know, you want to have line items for those item for those creative and graphics. If you don't have things in-house and you have to outsource that, you have to have a line item for your creative materials and any type of, you know, graphic elements that you're putting together, your signage, your wall wraps, your promotional campaigns, gifts, swag, all of that. You also want to make sure that you're factoring in registration. Is there equipment that you need? And now is there, you know, rapid testing that you have to have on site? Do you need to have, you know, a check-in, like, do you need clear to be there to check, you know, whatchamahalt, COVID vaccinations, there's so many new factors in place that you have to think about as well. And then if it's a virtual event, you have that digital <laughs> component, you know, the platform. And if it's, you know, live, are you going to do it hybrid and offer it to people that maybe don't feel comfortable being in a room together? And so, but you don't want to lose them as an audience. So you're going to now have a hybrid event. So do you have that line item for that digital aspect of the event um, moving forward. Um, and if you're just going all live, awesome, but are you gonna offer something maybe post-event post on demand for folks that couldn't show up? So I would say those are some of the key areas, definitely having a contingency plan in place, um, you know, or a contingency budget line item, because there are gonna be little things that show up, I promise you. You're gonna need an extra electric drop that you didn't think of or extra rigging, or maybe it's gonna rain and you're gonna need to get up tent for out the outdoor event you just planned or something along those lines. Um, also, do you need to have sleeping rooms for any high note or keynote speakers that you're gonna have coming in that you're gonna cover their sleeping rooms or their green room requests 
that is usually separate on top of their actual payment for being a speaker. Um, so making sure you have that any entertainment for your event, you know, whether it's a band or a, you know, fun, I don't know, palm reader, whatever you decide to do, <laughs> um, you know, and having, you know, sponsors come in. If you're going to have sponsors, are you paying for their exhibit space or sponsor space? Or is that something they're going to pay for? You know, you have to think through that in your budget. And then although your guests are responsible if they are for their sleeping rooms. You want a budget if you don't meet your minimum that there might be some sleeping rooms you're going to end up having to pay for. So I'd rather over budget and have that in there than have the surprise of, you know, a $50,000 room fee later. So yeah. um, that's definitely something you want to include. Um, and I think one of the areas that, like you mentioned, sponsorship that people forget about is they think about, oh my gosh, I'm getting all this extra revenue to offset my budget. There's, you know, cost to execute on that sponsorship or creating let's say some printed signs for them or logo napkins or any of that kind of stuff, or, you know, providing them specific things in their booth. Like you have to make sure that you, you know, allocate for that as well. Exactly. Yeah. And then and it I think depends too on the type of event, like if mm-hmm. you have a retreat, you know what I mean? Like, do you have to bring in all these people to like host this? Re- yeah. There's, there's, it depends on the event too. There might be some other little items as well. Yeah. And I think I've really noticed with um, the entrepreneurs that I've been talking with that have been doing events, they haven't had sleeping rooms. So then you usually will have a fee to rent the you know venue as well as the food and beverage. But once you start adding sleeping rooms, then the hotel removes that meeting rental fee. So it yeah. all depends on the hotel, but that's kind of standard. Yes. And the last thing, you know, speaking of budget, like the one thing I want to call out is obviously everything in life is negotiable. Let's be real. Everything is. But at the same time, having to remember that all of these vendors and venues and all that stuff, your contract, they're businesses as well. So there's only so much you're going to negotiate. So you have to truly understand that no matter what your mission is for your event, et cetera, that's important to you. But at the same time for that vendor, they're still a business and have to still make their bare minimum at the end of the day. So as much as you can negotiate some things, Never go into a budget thinking like, oh, I'm going to be able to negotiate all of this to either, you know, 50% or free even or whatever that might be. You can't do that. You have to budget as if I'm going to be paying 100% of what I'm going to be quoted. And then you hope for the best and you do negotiate and go out there because people are going to work to try to do that, but you can't have that promise to you. Yeah. And you want to have a good relationship with your vendors and your hotel. So the planning process Mm -hmm. is good and you feel very confident going on site. And if they know that you're, if they know that you're trying to negotiate down to an unreasonable factor, then that's, that's not going to feel good. So just really like look out for both of your interests. Exactly. I heard your cute little dog bark. I know. I was about to say, I hope, I'm sure you heard that my dog, it's, he likes to hear his own voice. He's the best coworker, though. <laughs> I think uh, Dakota probably wants him to come over and play. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so what are your thoughts around, you know, I get a lot of questions about how to find the best venue. Um, what are some tips around things that, you know, you look for in a venue? Yeah, so it always is going to depend on my audience, like what type of people they are, and also the type of event I'm trying to host. You know, if you're hosting, uh, you know, a meditation retreat, you're not going to go to the holiday and conference center. You know what I mean? You've got to really gauge the type of event 
and your audience. You know, if you have a very upscale C-level audience, you don't want to go to the Best Western. You want to have it at the Hyatt Regency or the Four Seasons. You know, so you, it really plays on who you're doing the event for and what kind of event you're looking to do is going to be what helps you pick what type of venue. And then it's also, once you know the type of people, the type of event, then it's, okay, but how much money do I have to spend? Because maybe you need like Hyatt Regency on a budget. <laughs> right. you do Hyatt Regency. <laughs> do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, so those three things I definitely think play a factor to then bring you to, okay, now what venues can I, can I go out to? I mean, that's really at the end of the day, to me, what it comes down to. Um, and then the little things like, do you have a group of folks that are not going to, maybe it's a venue that doesn't have a hotel attached and they're going to be saying, you want to find a venue that's close to the hotel they're staying at, you know, then there's those little pieces that you have to figure out. But the three main ones I think are knowing the audience, knowing the type of event and knowing if you have the money to cover the caliber of a venue that you're looking for. Yeah. And I think the kind of venue you want. So for example, if you want to bring in, like I'm talking to somebody right now that's doing an event that is for people that have very specific dietary requirements. So you really want to find then a place that you can probably bring in your own food, which is not going to be a hotel. So you want to kind of keep those things. And then also the little things like you were talking about, Sarah, like just even like the park, there's one hotel um, around that just does valet. So, you know, what does that mm-hmm. cost to your attendee? Like those little things you want to think about yeah. and how far is it from the airport and, and all of that. Do, are your attendees, you know, maybe physically, you know, handicapped in some way or anything like that? Do you need to make sure this venue is very ADA compliant, but which compliances are they? Like, there's so many different things you have to look at depending on your audience. <laughs> yes, Definitely. And then the next thing I was thinking about that I, you know, get a lot of questions on is just what type of vendors do you need to hire for an event? And I think we kind of covered this a little bit in the budget. Like, you know, if you're not using mm-hmm. the hotel AV, you're going to need like an AV or production vendor, um, videography, sure. photography, you know, what else would you add you in there? In-house creative, then you got to hire a creative agency. Don't think you can just, you know, do it in Canva and then go to Staples. You really should, <laughs> if it's an important event, you should really take your time to you know, and invest in that branding because it does go a long way um, at your event. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, everything, entertainment. I mean, maybe you need a DMC, so a destination management company that's going to help you with that entertainment if you're going to a different location that you're not familiar with. Um, Do you need someone to help you source your venue? Do you need a source? Like there's so many, yeah, there's a lot of different types of vendor, different vendors you could possibly work with if you don't have anything in-house or, if you are just a solo entrepreneur, like even myself and just, you know, planning the event, these were all things I'd have to outsource. Yeah. And I think you also have to look at like the long-term. So, you know, having a photographer or videographer is so huge because then you have all of this, you know, great marketing that you can use in the future for, you know, events Mm -hmm. that are coming up. And so it's not just an investment in that event that's happening right now. It's an investment in the future of all of the events that you're doing. So I think that's really important if you can afford it. Oh yeah. A thousand percent. You don't want to shave costs if it's going to benefit you long-term. You have to really think about that. It's like, yeah, okay. Maybe it's a lot of money right now up front, but it's going a really far long way. It's not just this. You always have to remember, it's not just the event it's benefiting. So actually to add on to the vendor conversation, Sarah, because you, you know, you book travel and you do destination events. So can you talk a little bit of just, you know, cause I know a lot of people that are thinking about doing retreats and things like that. Can you kind of share just from your experience as you know, a travel agent, travel coach? Yeah. So regarding destination events, obviously I'm 
a travel agent, but I'm also, I mean, I've been a corporate event planner for years and I've done plenty of destination events, incentive trips, things like that, you know, executive retreats, all those type of things. I think one of the bigger things too, is when you're working with someone, let's say like me, is I'm always going to work with somebody that is in the location of where we're going, because obviously I may know events and I'm very specialized and well-versed in different destinations. However, it's always really, really good to have somebody in the destination you're traveling to kind of be my partner in crime. So there will always be an event person that I will be working with in that location. So for example, I had done an incentive trip for like 600 people and we went to Punta Cana and it was amazing. And I had this one woman that I worked with and she was able to help me with everything from core to setting up our awards gala and what AV and sound and entertainment we needed to what outdoor parties, what's the best location on the beach to have this, you know, welcome party. So you need someone who knows like the specifics of the region and also of the, um, the hotel or the resort in general to help you then plan. Cause I can't be there every day. I'm doing this from a distance. It's very difficult. You know, you can go down once or twice, but it is difficult. So that's just the extra step that's taken when you are doing a destination event is that there will always be someone I partner with in that region or destination to facilitate your event. And then factoring into your budget, if you want that hand in hand support of that person, then traveling down there for your event, because the last thing you want is for, let's say me to plan everything, but you didn't budget me coming down there. And then things go astray. I can't be there to help you. So that's something you should always be factoring in when you're planning a destination event. Yeah. And there's so much it's, you know, booking those activities, the travel, then when you work with a destination management company, they can do all the transportation from the airport. There's Mm -hmm. just so many things that they can support in, you know, decor for the evening events, all of that stuff. So we just took a little break that you didn't see, but Sarah's dog basically ate her teddy bear from when she was a baby during this podcast. So (laughs) are you okay over there? (laughs) I am. I am. I'm out of breath. I'm good. Oh gosh. So, um, one of the things that I always hear about is, you know, when should I open registration for my event? How long should I plan? And I always err on the side of the longer, the better in terms of just having more time to get people signed up, plan for it, especially if it's an out of town event, you obviously have to keep the excitement going if you're going to have a really long registration period. So it doesn't die out. But um, I know with corporate events, it's a little bit different. And, you know, we might be like three to four months out when we open registration, but you have any feedback around that? Yeah. I mean, I would say it depends on if it's virtual or live virtual, you need less lead time for registration. Um, It also depends on if it's free or a paid registration. If it's free, you don't need to open too, too early um, because you are going to get a ton of last minute stragglers, whether for a digital event in general, whether it's free or paid, but definitely if it's free. If it's a paid virtual event, I would say we just opened up a virtual event registration, but we're like about 40, about 10 weeks out, we opened our virtual event registration. However, we've had a lot of events where we opened maybe like eight weeks out. I personally don't like to go any shorter than that because I'll have anxiety um, (laughs) to make sure I meet my registration numbers. Um, And then I would say for in-person, definitely the three to four month mark out. Um, For a smaller scale event, like let's say it is a retreat, um, I would definitely start pushing the promotions at least three months out, but I don't think you need to open registration until about eight weeks um, pending 
you know, where the retreat is, is it's local. If there is travel involved, then definitely opening three weeks or three months out. I'm sorry. Because then you want people to get flights and flights are usually within three to four months is when you're going to find the best prices for flights. And if they book, if you're going to open registration, open it so that they can start booking their flights on a Tuesday or Wednesday, because you're going to find the best pricing on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I love that. Do you have any other tips like that, that you can share? <laughs> Oh gosh, I actually have a whole bunch, which um, I don't want to plug it, but my next episode of the Solo Travel Woman podcast coming out this month is all, um, you know, tips on how to save for hotels and tips on how to save on flights. So that will be coming out in the next two, on Wednesday. So two days. (laughs) That's so good. So what do you think when people are getting ready to go on site for their event, they're planning it, as we know, there is so many things that can happen, so many things you need to be organized and have, haven't planned. What are some of the things that you would recommend doing before you go on site? So just like Santa Claus, you want to check your list and then check it twice. <laughs> so I'm a big list checker. I'm also very old school. I print things out, have it digitally. So this way, in case something goes missing, I have two ways of getting my information here. I just say like, definitely recheck your own work. You may be very confident and very organized, but you just never know. Things move very quickly in events. So make sure you take time to recheck your own work. And then you do have to recheck the work of others just to make sure all of your key milestones and everything you needed for your event is done. Then you wanna make sure that you're putting like an actual program plan in place for onsite. So if it is an onsite live event, I always have like each day, I have like an outline agenda of what should be happening from the time we wake up till nighttime because the event is all day even before. Um, And just making sure that you're outlining all those things. And if it's virtual, same, same thing, just in a different way. Like it's all virtual stuff. You're not having to worry about walking, you know, taking time to walk to this place and making sure all that's, you know, recorded on how long it takes to get to certain places. Um, So that's what I do. I just make sure I just... The day before I leave on a flight, for example, I'm like at a printer and I'm just printing out all my lists and making my binder. And I'm just, and that helps me go through and recheck stuff because I'm printing it out and I have to put it in order and organize it. So that's personally what I do before an event to make sure that I'm organizing it's the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like we always create like the show, the show flow. So it's like, you know, what is happening every minute of the event, where it is located, All of that kind of stuff. So that's some of the things that Sarah is talking about. And then also, I think just making sure that you have all of this, it seems very simple, but all of the phone numbers and contact information, all of your vendors, if you're going to have like chat groups set up for specific areas of your event, like the event team or, you know, people that are managing AV, make sure that's all set up in advance. So you're not scrambling when things pop up at the event. Exactly. Exactly. I just did that today. I have a big virtual event tomorrow with like 3000 people. And I I did my chats for the support team and then the production team. So this way, if anything goes wrong, we have those already set up and ready to go. And then I double checked all my access links, you know, to everything, made sure my calendar invites were, you know, it's my fifth time checking them, but you can never check too many times. So I think that's a good point that doing for, you know, specific sessions or important items that are happening at the event, you can do calendar invite. So everybody has it on their calendar. It's, you know, mm-hmm. that's the reminder for them versus just like email and things like that. Oh, totally. Yeah. 
and then also um, volunteers making sure, you know, with the big corporate events, that will be a, a big part of everything that we do to get ready. But if you're doing like an entrepreneur event, make sure that you have enough people at registration. You know, if you have a lot of VIPs, make sure you have somebody that's managing that just so, you know, you don't have to worry about that when you're on site. And Agreed. of course, we should really say since we're event planners, it's always good to have an event planner, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> always have your event planner. And just like you said, like with the VIPs, I mean, if you're doing an event and there is high profile and executives in this snap, making sure ahead of time you have their itineraries with their flight. So, you know, when they're supposed to be coming in and it's not to be like crazy, like checking to make sure they're where they are. It's so, cause if gosh forbid something were to happen, like you at least know ahead of time, cause you knew what time they were supposed to arrive and then maybe they didn't and you know, none to follow up. You could be more proactive in your decision-making should you have all this information ahead of time. Yep, that's so good. And so my last question is around making an event profitable. And I get that question a lot. And I know um, a lot of times an event really is a marketing expense and you have to kind of look at it that way. Um, there's, you know, ways that you're going to obviously make money or offset your expenses, which are ticket sales, VIP sales, sponsorships. Um, what are your yeah. thoughts around that? One of my main thoughts is that that shouldn't be what you go into an event for is making it profitable. That shouldn't be why you're doing an event. You're doing an event to bring your audience together in one place to learn from you, learn from each other and learn from, you know, those, you know, professionals and those experts you're putting forth to help them. You know, that should be the main reason why you're doing these events. Profit is a bonus, in my opinion, you know, just like if I'm doing a customer conference or if I'm doing something for prospects, you know, I'm doing this because I want their business in the long run. I don't care about just that moment in time. I'm doing this because, you know, having these prospects there, they're going to see my business. They're going to see what I can offer them. They're going to see all this amazing stuff I've given them that they're going to want to continue the conversation and hopefully then convert. Um, so that to me is a really hard question to answer. Um, to, if that is your main goal, then you have to really, truly make sure that you are really putting together good pricing strategies for your <laughs> registration pricing, your sponsorship pricing, um, that you have enough budgeted to cover what you need to, because then anything you do make is going to, I mean, it is going to tend to one breaking even to me is like the best goal you can get from an event, um, when it comes to the, you know, registration and the, um, uh, sponsorship dollars that you're going to be seeing, but you have to really, really, really know your go-to-market strategy as well, because to make a profit, you have to fill the seats and you have to fill all of your seats, if not more, because <laughs> that's where you're going to really make your money is on the registration is making sure that you have a good pricing model in place that is going to have and enough registrations in place that is going to then not only just meet, you know, and make you break even, but then exceed what you've spent on the event. Um, but in my opinion, that shouldn't be why you're putting on an event at all to make a profit. Yeah. And I think like you mentioned, it's really, this is kind of where we go back to like the why of the event and the call to action. It's like you might not make that money on the event, but then whatever program that you're having them, you know, convert into through the event. I mean, that's like going to be, you know, revenue in that area as well. So it's Correct. very important to keep in mind. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so Sarah, that was the last question I had for us to discuss. Do you have anything else that you think would be beneficial to share? I mean, I would just say like, if an event is something you're looking to do, I can't express it any more than I think I already have. I, the importance of just knowing your why and knowing your audience and knowing what it is they're looking. It's not about you when you're throwing the event. So 
moving away from like, well, I wanted to do it this way, or I want to do this, or I want to do that. It's about what do you, does your audience want? What is going to really resonate with them? Um, make sure that you do know the event, you know, when you're into this, the event is not about you. It's about your audience and what you can bring to them and how you're going to benefit them and how you're going to enrich their lives. You know, they're spending time out of their day to be with you at your event. So what is it you're giving to them? You know, that's going to be, that's super important. And I can't stress that enough. Um, and that's the reason why my answer to the making the event profitable, it should be about your customer or your audience or, you know, who's in your, who, who you have the event for and less about yourself. Um, and that's just my little takeaway. <laughs> yeah, and I think to add on to that, like even thinking about the budget, it's like, you might have these really big wow factors that you want to add in, but like, is your money better spent doing something that's going to impact your customer or your attendee mm -hmm. in, in a better way? So think about that. And also you can have those wow factors in there, but just have that ability to remove those or add them later. If you're like on track for your revenue and your budget, things like that, but don't, you know, over Agreed. extend yourself. Yepers, I agree. <laughs> well, Sarah, thank you for being here. And I know we're going to be texting each other like right after this. <laughs> but like, I always love talking to you and you are such an expert yes. in events and travel and, you know, destination oh, events. I have so and... much fun doing this. I know. Like, I think we might need to do this for everybody listening. We have this thing since we're Sarah and Sarah that, you know, at some point, maybe we need like an S squared business. <laughs> so mm -hmm. maybe we can just have like an S squared podcast episode every once in a while. Right. You all should just like submit your suggestions on what it should be called. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Cause we did talk about, you know, Sarah just moved from New York um, a little while ago and we talked about doing some different meetup events. That would be really yeah. fun just to get entrepreneurs together. So maybe I Sarah, agree. that's a little area that we can grow a business together in. <laughs> I think that'd be fun. Hey. I love that. Well, I love you, of course. And I love will you. talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd love to connect with you on Instagram at Event of Brush and in our private Facebook group where we continue this conversation. All of these details are listed in the episode notes. Your time is valuable and I appreciate that you spent it with me.